Hello, welcome to Her Dot Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dot Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter three, Lyra's Jordan. good it's been so long it's yeah. not been very long at all it's been like two days <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long what has happened in those two days actually i did go and see charlie bliss last night oh nice they nice. were really good um they played the last time we saw them they played their second album all the way through because it had just come out oh yeah yeah but this time they still played most of the album <laughs> they actually <laughs> just can't escape the second album they actually played less songs from the first album last night than they did when we saw them when they played their second album all the way through um they were still good but you just I, a bigger fan on the first album. yeah yeah and i went to see funeral for a friend oh yeah, yeah without me yeah you were supposed to come i made the mistake of saying yes to some like real world proper grown-up work and then it basically fucked up my life for two whole weeks and I got really got really sad <laughs> um yeah it was great yeah. I'm in a much better place now I've had like three days actually working for myself from home and I'm feeling a lot better <laughs> it's good times yeah <clears throat> funeral for a friend was nice um it was like a charity gig for their friend who died mm. um so they raised loads of money and our friend Andy we went with him and He'd got the tickets and it was at Shepherd's Bush and we got there and he was like, oh God, like I've just looked at the tickets and they're for the like balcony standing or like the seats uh, on the balcony. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we were all like, so it was me, uh, my partner Liam and our friend Coral. Um, hi Coral, she listens to this. So hi. Well, thanks for buying my ticket from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we were like stood up on the like balcony bit and I was like, thank God. Because it was so busy on the stage. It looked. Bit. I saw some videos that you posted on Instagram. It looked the, the, like the moshiest of pits. Yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> rammed. But like that kind of made me think, oh my god, I'm getting old. Because like when I was younger, so yeah, when I was younger, I'd be like, if it was for a band I really liked, I'd be like on the barrier, sharpen your elbows, get yeah, to the front. yeah. And now I'm just like, do you know what? I'd rather just stand upstairs with a nice pint and, and watch a band <laughs> just- with far away enough from the speakers that you won't be deafened as well yeah exactly yeah um yeah, i definitely gig like an old lady now yeah i think it's just getting older isn't it yeah especially when they're super busy like that if there's like i'm quite i think like from going to so many gigs when i was younger i'm quite good at like finding gaps in the crowd because a lot of the time especially if you go to like a massive arena show you'll have loads of people rammed in at the back but then there's actually loads of space down the front you just have to push your way through to find it yeah um, i have the special magic lackluster superpower that is always being stood behind a six foot man uh, just like no matter what i'm not particularly sure which probably is part of the problem because then people don't feel like letting me go in front yeah because i'm just tall enough that i could potentially be in their way too if i was like really short they'd probably be like oh please stand in front of me because you probably won't be able to see over the next person either yeah <laughs> but like always behind like really tall people and then I kind of like spend the whole gig with my neck like craned to one side and yeah it's great yeah I don't like that but but yeah and then we're going to see the regrets tomorrow Tomorrow. yeah it won't be tomorrow for you guys listening because we're recording this a couple of weeks in advance so 
we'll tell you all about it next time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I've been all right. Work's been really, really busy. Um, but I'm like kind of through it a little bit now as well. So this episode, this chapter, we find out that people's demons settle when they grow up, but they change when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. If your demon could change, what would this past couple of weeks have been? Oh. What would it have been? What like what demon represents your week? <laughs> I kind of feel like that part of me really wants to say sloth Aww. because <laughs> although I've been like super busy, like it's been like it's been a like a slog getting through it. Like I've been tired, but I also haven't been sleeping that well. So maybe sloth isn't the best because they obviously love to sleep and they mm-hmm, sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. But I feel like my general like lethargy is is been sloth like. A sloth that's being forced to work. Yes, yes, basically. <laughs> as somehow as frantic as a sloth could get, that would be how you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. What about you? Um, I feel like when I was back a couple of weeks ago and doing that like real world job, doing prop making for that Halloween party that was a nightmare, um, I was some kind of like frantic sparrow maybe. <laughs> Like, just, like, I felt like I was, like, hopping around from place to place. Like, I could never keep still. Everyone kept asking me questions. And I was, like, frantic the whole time. And then I'd probably get home and immediately turn into, like, a sloth. Or, like, a really pissed off house cat that just Mm. wants to sleep and be left alone. That's a good one. And then this week, now that I'm, like, kind of back in my little little burrow, I probably, like, working on my on, on my art stuff I feel like maybe I'm a, like a beaver or some kind of like busy busy rodent and spending a lot of my time like hunched Aww. over with my hands working really hard which makes me think of when we used to have pet rats and they'd always have really busy hands so that's probably me this week Cute. but like I'm much more chilled out than a really frantic sparrow <laughs> <laughs> I like it I like it mm-hmm. so you have been making your toys yeah I've been prepping for conventions i was going to do london comic-con but there was a whole thing with selling the tables and i didn't manage to get one in the end um so i was like screw this i'm gonna go and do birmingham and then yeah so when the podcast comes out i'll have just done birmingham Mm comic-con um sorry if you missed me (laughs) i'll be there i will have had business cards for this podcast to hand out and try and force people to listen to us um and then at the very end of november on the 30th I think uh, there's Dragon Meat I think they're having it at the Novo Hotel in Hammersmith and it's basically like a big convention for like tabletop RPG Dungeons and Dragons all of my favourite kinds of nerds <laughs> um, and I'll be there like selling my little toys I do these little mice that hold the D&D dice they'll be cute cute so that's me they are the cute, next few weeks is like frantically prepping stuff mm-hmm, for conventions mm-hmm. which is nice mm. I like to have a purpose but also in my frantic sparrow demon place, I'll just kind of like look at everything and be really overwhelmed and freak out a little bit. <laughs> It'll all It'll work out. Yeah. <laughs> it has to, it has to. It'll be fine. Yeah. So, exciting. We had an email. Our first email. Our first email <laughs> from Melissa. And uh, I think after listening to our first episode, she wanted, we questioned, um, why it's called Golden Compass in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fireworks! It was bonfire night last night. <laughs> I, I wonder if you heard that. There was a nice little boom from down the road. Oh, <laughs> nice. Anyway, Melissa, hi. Um, yeah, she sent us an email and she explained um, 
the like why it was called Golden Compass mm-hmm. in America. It's actually interesting because I didn't know this, and I know that you didn't either. And I kind of just assumed that it would be like we said in the first episode. They possibly thought that American people wouldn't understand the term Northern Lights, but actually, it's a bit different. So before um, before it was published, like when Philip Pullman like was still writing it and stuff, he had called the series the Golden Compasses. Mm-hmm. instead of his dark materials i think just as like a working title for the whole series yeah. um and that's from a line in john milton's poem paradise lost and it refers to the drafting compass that god used to create the universe yeah so completely different kind of compass absolutely to what everyone seems to think it's about yes. which is great yeah so uh then a publisher in uh, the u.s uh, they'd been calling the first book so they'd been calling northern lights the golden compass by mistake because they thought it referred to the Elysiometer rather mm-hmm. than the poem that we just mentioned. Um, and by the time that Philip Pullman had changed the series title to His Dark Materials, uh, the publisher had become so attached to Golden Compass as a title for the first novel that he just insisted that they publish it as that rather than Northern Lights. Just some random publisher throwing their weight around, yeah. being really stubborn, basically. Yeah. That, that's great. Yeah. Poor Philip. Um, but I actually really enjoy that story, because it's... It must be super annoying, like, as a writer, for somebody to have that power over, like, your mm. creation. Well, I, weirdly, after we'd had the email, I then was listening to the Adam Buxton podcast where he interviews Philip Pullman and they go for a walk with their dogs and it's great. Um, and it, he, Pullman briefly mentions that as well. And he does sound a little bit, like, kind of annoyed that someone else was able to change the title of his book. And he was yeah. like, that was kind of... They almost said they would refuse to publish it if he didn't agree to have that as the title because oh they become God. so attached to it, which is like... Yeah. yeah. It's frustrating as well. It must be frustrating for him because if he'd have known like how massive it would have, it, it would come to be, yeah. he could have been like, well, fuck you guys then. Don't bother publishing it. Because he knew, he knew he would have known that somebody else would have published it. But yeah. at the time, like he was probably... I don't know, actually. Had he published any novels before? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I don't think it was his debut novel because it yeah. wasn't super duper long ago. But obviously, like, he'd not, I assume anyway, that he'd not had the success yet with another book as he had had with this series. Yeah, this series is like his, the one that's gone the furthest. Because I have read a few of his other books, but um, this is by far the one that everyone seems to know. Yeah. Is. Yeah. So, like, at the time, he would have been like, well, obviously, I, I need it to be published in America, mm. so I've kind of got to say, okay. But now, like, thinking back, he's probably like, oh, could have just told him to fuck off. <laughs> oh, Philip, I hope you don't feel that way. It's still good. And it may, you know, it was a working title at one point. He must have enjoyed the title then. Yeah, I think yeah. the annoyance probably comes from it actually not referring to the yeah, okay, wrong. Yeah. That's probably partly why he doesn't want to call that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for that email. Yeah. I did, I attempted to do a Google when we were first asking the question and I just failed yeah i just well um, i wonder if it's a fact that's recently resurfaced now that the tv series is coming out more yeah maybe more of the stuff is being re-questioned yeah but yeah thank you melissa yeah thank you and also thank you to lara on twitter and verity for letting us know that you can see the northern lights in canada i'm so sorry canada (laughs) verity messaged me and was like actually canada's quite well known for it so and sometimes you can see the northern lights from edmonton her hometown, which I literally visited this summer, and I feel bad that I didn't know this. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Canada. I'm sure yeah. your lights are beautiful. Yeah, 
we love Canada, yeah. so we might come back and see them. But um, also, the I'm wrong, it doesn't work like a rainbow. It is to do with photons reacting in the atmosphere. And it's not refraction or reflection like rainbows are. It is... Like, literally particles doing their thing in a completely different way, which I probably also explained really badly, but you're all welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Laura also said that you can see them in some uh, northern US states as well, which is... Why do other people get all the good stuff? I know. (laughs) I'm from the north of England and I don't get anything. (laughs) Why can't I see them in Sheffield? (laughs) God. We are quite close, though, I suppose, to Mm. other places in the world where you can see them. That is true. We should make a podcast trip to... Is it Iceland? Yeah. We should go. You can see them in Iceland. Yeah. Although my friends went there on their honeymoon and they didn't see them until literally the like night before they flew yeah. back. I feel like it's touch and go. I think my friend went as well and I don't know if they saw them at all, but they went like every night to try mm. and see them and just didn't. It's like going to Canada to try and see a bear and you spend all holiday looking for a bloody bear and you never see one like me. And then someone else that you know goes the week later and sees five bears. <laughs> so annoying. I saw, I saw a bear. Canada's lying. It doesn't have any bears. <laughs> I see, I seen a bear. You're lying. Everybody's lying. <laughs> I didn't see the proof. <laughs> so, last chapter, we learned about dust with a capital D, and Lord Asriel brought in a human head to show the scholars. We have taught many, many a time about that human head. It's just, I can't get over it. So extra. <laughs> Asriel asked the scholars to fund his expedition north, so that he continue his search for other worlds, and they do. <laughs> and we see the Elysiometer for the first time, which predicts that Lyra is part of a much bigger plan. Mm, exciting. In this chapter, we learn more about the Oxford that Lyra lives in and what her life is like there. The gobblers are stealing children, but who are they and what do they need kids for? We get to meet and potentially lose Lyra's best friend, Roger, all in one chapter. Oh, Roger, Roger, Roger. And a mysterious woman with a golden monkey demon is helping lure the children away, and her name is Mrs. Coulter. Ooh. So, first of all, there's lots of exposition about the college. Mm-hmm. It's kind of setting the scene for, like, a couple of pages. There's a few bits from that that I quite liked. Mm. Literally just... Um, when I put my like A level reading glasses on, love it. <laughs> I was like, oh, and the the description of the college is just lovely. Like, I really, really like it. Yeah, yeah. And it's described as a jumbled and squalid grandeur, which is just like, oh, it's lovely. It's a perfect nice. description of like a really yeah. old building. It's fancy but falling down. And I also thought that it was nice because it kind of links to how Lyra's been described as like half wild, half civilized, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like it's almost like the college. I don't know, it's almost like a reflection of her yeah. in that it's like, it's grand, but it's totally. also like messy and ragged. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Um, it says that, um, so there's like really old parts of it and then there's like newer parts of it where they've like, there's mm. like still building and it reminds me of uh, the Sagrada Familia in, in Barcelona. Constantly under scaffolding. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. that's what I kind of imagine it to be like, like still be still being worked on and like repaired and stuff when the older bits like fall down. Or yeah, it's like, taken so long to build. That the old bits are falling down before the new bits are finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so we like learn a lot about the college. Um, we learn that it's quite rich, or really yeah, rich. Yeah, and like where they get their money from, because yeah. they own so much land. Yeah. In Britain, but spelt with a Y. With a Y. I yeah. really like that. I, I really do. enjoy how Pullman's kind of like taking familiar place names and just... Like, tweaking them a little bit to yeah. make them otherworldly. I yeah, that's the thing as well, because like we still... 
we're still kind of at this point a bit unsure as to whether it's actually set in in our reality or not. Yeah. Um, and then all these like little place names and different things, obviously like having a demon and all that kind of stuff keeps cropping up. And you're like, well, actually, I know these places. I know Oxford and I know Britain and I know some of the other places, but this well oxford's not spelled slightly differently but when you get to britain i was a bit like it seems to be alluding to the fact that these are places that we know but they might not be exactly the same yeah yeah like slightly yeah slightly different which i really like yeah Um, definitely um and then yeah like you said so lots of businesses um they pay rent to jordan because they own so much land and uh businesses i suppose so that's how they maintain their richness and then it, uh, I pointed out that they do a lot with experimental theology. And that's, yeah, to do with how the college is funded, right? Um, keeping the chapel up to date and um, the fact that they're like the leading scholars. I pulled out a little quote that I thought was really cute about um, Lyra was ha- like how proud Lyra is of how fancy her college is and how much the knowledge is. She regarded visiting scholars and eminent professors from elsewhere with pitying scorn because they didn't belong to Jordan and so must know much less poor things than the humblest of Jordan's underscholars. <laughs> it's like, oh, Lyra, that attitude is so like on point of like a kid <laughs> being like proud and snooty. It's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, so she's like, like you said, she definitely feels like pride for being from there. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, And then... She's got no identity. She knows that it's kind of known for its experimental theology, but she doesn't know what that means, uh, really. And I then wrote, because I think it might be just after this bit, that it's really the the choices of words that Philip Pullman chooses to describe Lyra are really negative. Some of them, anyway. So he calls her a barbarian, and then later on he calls her a greedy little savage. I quite like that, though. I don't know. Like, it it just, it's weird, because, like... I like to think of it... And for me, it makes her like defiant and like all this kind of yeah. But there's better words to use, I think. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's we- the weird choices of words to describe like an innocent child who is also the protagonist of the book that we're supposed to like. Yeah. Because they do have like I think like whether uh, whether you like those choices of words or not, they do have negative connotations, and it's just weird because he could have yeah. said defiant or other words, but he p- particularly chose those words. Like I barbarian, like it because he's not describing a pretty little girl. He's not describing perhaps what you'd usually have as your like protagonist for a book where the main character is a girl. Like she's not, yeah, she's not pretty. She's not dainty. She is. She's wild. She's a barbarian. She's rough around the edges and she's scrappy. And I like that. I know what you mean about being like greedy little savage. It's yeah. kind of like it is quite harsh wording, but also I think it perfectly for me like is that juxtaposition of, like, she's a little girl, she's, like, the main character of the book, you're supposed to love her, but she's also, like, rough as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. And then we meet Roger for the first time. Little Roger. Oh, Roger. Um, and another weird choice of words. Uh, we learn that he's a particular friend. Oh, Particular. And I was like, I assume that means BFF. But yeah, BFFs. <laughs> Again, a bit of a weird choice. I did like a weird deep dive on Google for the most pointless of things, but it's just because it caught my interest. But he described Lyra's um, like friends in the town as being urchins and ragamuffins. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, where does that come from? According to the Merriam-Webster like dictionary website, um, the word ragamuffin is the rag kind of comes from where you think it comes from. It's like rags, ragged, like scrappy or scruffy. Mm-hmm. 
And the muffin part, they think, comes from Old English, where it's ragamuffin, with a Y-N, and that was used to refer to a demon in a poem. Ooh, like a type of demon. demon. But then it kind of just became, like, used as a term to describe scruffy or ragged-looking people or beggars and homeless people. But then it came to refer to children in, like, the early 19th, 20th century, like 1900s, um, when kids would dress up as ragamuffins and then on Thanksgiving and go house to house begging for food for the Thanksgiving table. So basically, like, back, just really not cool kids dressing up with, like, as homeless people as oh if it's gosh. a costume. Yeah. Basically, that kind of, like, that trend disappeared, but essentially the way of referring, like, it was called a ragamuffin parade back in the day, which is madness. Um, Do you know what's interesting yeah. about that is that some Zach told me this, our friend Zach. Um, I don't know, I've not looked into it, but apparently on TikTok, there's like a thing going around. It might not be at the minute, it might have been a couple of months ago, of like teenagers like pretending to be like homeless people and then filming it and then putting it on TikTok. So <gasps> things come back around. Homelessness is not a costume, people. Absolutely. Oh my God, that's horrendous. Yeah. The whole, yeah, the ragamuffin parade thing died out because it was like around Thanksgiving time. The idea of kids dressing up in costumes and going house to house to, like, beg for food and sweets stayed in the form of trick-or-treating. So when your kids are dressing up for Halloween, that's kind of where it came from, which is weird weird old roots. Yeah, that's interesting. It's so interesting. I like it. And then urchins, I think is really fucking cute, because that comes from... An urchin is from the French word meaning hedgehog, and it was then used... To just, like, we called hedgehogs urchins for ages in yeah. England. And then people went like, yeah, but they kind of look more like little pigs, don't they? So we stopped describing hedgehogs as urchins. But they used to refer to it as, like, um, homeless children or street children because, basically, they're wild and there's a lot of them. Oh. And so is you, if you call a kid, like, a street urchin, you're basically calling them a hedgehog. Oh. Which is simultaneously cute and really, really, really sad. Yeah. That's true. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> Just some origins of some words, words there for you. That was, that was Word Corner word with corner. Rachel. Um, back on track. Back on track. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've got Roger and Lyra. Mm-hmm. And basically what they like to do together is terrorise people. I love it, yes. Um, so I think I put like a little sticky note in here. So Roger, the particular friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to uh, spit plumstones on the heads of passing scholars <laughs> or to hoot like owls outside a window where a tutorial was going on or racing through narrow streets or stealing apples from the market or just waging war great brilliant <laughs> I love it also she's, it makes them sound like the naughty kids at school that would like sit at the back of the class and like moo to annoy the teacher yes <laughs> Which, I hate those kids because I was a goody two shoes <laughs> but like so much that vibe from it but then also it's quite endearing at the same time yeah because like yeah. you're imagining all these scholars or basically like uni students yeah <laughs> like walking around yeah. trying to get on with their day and there's this like 10 year old hooting at them <laughs> there's also another really good quote here and it's about um how adults have no idea like basically what kids are up to and the importantness of what the kids are up to to the kids mm-hmm. and it really reminded me of being a kid so 
Yeah, so um, it says, just as she was unaware of the hidden currents of politics running below the surface of college affairs, so the scholars, for their part, would have been unable to see the rich, seething stew of alliances and enmities and feuds and treaties, which was a child's life in Oxford, children playing together. How pleasant to see. What could be more innocent and charming? But obviously, like, when you're a kid, it's It's not like that. Oh, totally. Like, it it reminds me of... Like, when I was a kid, we'd, like, play on our street, and then we'd have, like, a feud with the kids from the other street. But then yeah. if the if kids from another school came, then we all, like, banded together against the 100%. kids from the other school. Exactly and that's what exactly did. what's happening here, yeah. and I really like that. I think it's funny. Definitely. That thing of, um, yeah, we had, like, a rival school that was also in the countryside, because yeah, I went to school out in the countryside. And our school was rivals with that school, but then if somebody from like one of the town schools threatened us, we'd all band together and be like, country kids. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, very different environment. I guess once you get to be like a teenager, it becomes a bit scarier when they're like feuding. Oh, like, yeah. When kids, kids, it's like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think they're kind of on the cusp of that as well. Like it becoming actually dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> like, not rather than just being like more. Well, yeah, fun. at the moment they're like. I enjoyed the description of um, the different people that she fights against, especially as I read a really lovely article, Philip Pullman writing for The Guardian just after he'd finished the trilogy, and he talks about relating basically this whole chapter, how it relates to his experience in Oxford. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to think, because he knew that Lyra would meet the Egyptians and that they would be one of her many enemies, but he wanted a rival for Lyra and her gang that was like the polar opposite of the Egyptians, who are these like, they're supposed to be in footballman's mind he was saying they're supposed to be like lithe and spry and wily and mm-hmm. like he wanted like a slower enemy for right. her yeah and that's he was like thinking about like what's slow and thick and drudgy and he was like mud clay beds yes <laughs> the clay beds in oxford will make her fight the kids that work in the clay beds and that'll be like a like a polar opposite enemy for her to fight so that yeah. image of her like throwing like clay sods at people yeah like, like, like rolling around um, until they all look like a flock of shrieking golems. Which is really cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you touched on it that um, it, Lyra's had a feud with the a particular family of Egyptians mm-hmm. for years, um, and it made me laugh the way that they describe um, them kind of hijacking the boat, and she's trying to look for um, the what do they call the it? Bung. I think the bung on the boat. Oh, it's so cute. It's such a kid thing to it's think such a kid that thing. there's like a plug on a boat that you yeah, just take like, out. Well, a bath has a plug. Why wouldn't a yeah. boat? Yeah. And it's so cute. Um, I just really, really liked that. But also, she's committing grand theft boto. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's literally stolen... The Egyptians live on the boats. They're canal yeah. boats. Um, so, yeah, we didn't kind of describe it. It's, yeah, it's a the enemies that she's finding from the Egyptians it's because they're like they visit seasonally mm-hmm. because they're travellers yeah and they live on their canal boat so she's literally stolen someone's house and floated it down the yeah. river yeah and like wrecked the place no regard to anyone yeah or anything yeah it's God. really bad <laughs> like Lyra you're literally a little criminal <laughs> yeah and then I think it's around this point where we can find out that Lyra feels uh, a bit torn between 
like this world as a kid, being a kid with all her friends, like terrorizing people because they've got like a group of friends going on. It's not just Lyra and Roger. And then like the grandeur of Jordan College. Um, and we find out that she uses her connection with Azrael to basically lord it over all the other kids that she plays with. But she's never, the interesting thing about that, I think, is that, and it does say it as a line, but that she's never thought to like find out more about that connection. No, she just likes that it makes her special. Yeah. Which yeah. is also a very kid thing to very do. Very much so. Like, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. The image of her, basically her only connection to Azriel being when she's forced to go for dinner with him. Mm-hmm. And they have to pick the um, the most agile scholar to chase her down and catch her. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining someone in their like, scholarly robes like, chasing after this dirty need kid who's like, no! Yeah, I love that. It's great. And then, yeah, so she has, like, she has tea with Azriel occasionally when he shows up and when she successfully gets chased down by a, by a scholar. Yeah. And um, so Azriel like, quizzes her on, like, what she's learnt since he last came and all that kind of stuff. And she'd have to, like, stand up and tell him. And that was really, like, triggering, triggering for me because it reminded me of school. Like, if you haven't done, like, your homework or you're not listening and then you get called on and you have to stand oh, up really? and be like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then you're just kind of, like thinking in your head of all the things that you might have picked up if you weren't listening and that really reminds me of that because I think Lyra's like it says something about her just trying to like drudge up anything that she can think of yeah I enjoy this conversation between her and Azrael though because it's it's basically him just desperately trying to have a like literally a conversation he's like quizzing her on stuff and she's giving the bare minimum yeah and her answers which I think is great yeah I also think that he kind of continues his mean streak a bit though because like he's asking her like where she plays um, and he's like pushing her for answers, but he knows full well that she's been on the roof. I think mm. it's on the roof. Um, yeah, he calls and, her a little liar. And he knows that she's going to lie about it, but he continues to push her instead of just saying, I've seen you playing on the roof. What's that about? He's like, where else have you been playing? Where, 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 where? Yeah. And it's a bit like, mm. but then he is really chill about it when she, he's like, you're lying to me, but also forget the roofs have you been in the basement oh my god it's so cool yeah I, i'm it's just kind of being cool that same thing that he's done in the first chapter or the second chapter where he has caught her doing something bad but then also kind of then gotten in cahoots with her yeah so he's found her doing something naughty and then been like but i'm a cool uncle i'm not gonna tell on you i'm gonna tell you about the next cool thing you can do see i don't know like i i've kind of like I've not warmed him at all. Like, I just think he is horrible so far. Yeah. Like, and I just think him saying stuff like that to her, it's kind of, it kind of all like comes from a selfish place. Cause like he wanted her to find the master and like he said to, for her to go in the basement and look at, and like the underground of the college and what I can only assume, and this might not be true, but he probably wants something from that or like wants her to do that for him. And even if that's not true, I'm, I'm just still like, I need more from him. You're not part of the Azrael fan Not yet. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that'll change, but I just can't get on board with anyone that's willing to say that they'd break a child's arm. Yeah. And, like, actually physically abuse I her. wonder if my leniency for Azrael comes from when I first read the book as a kid, and you don't really think about it when you're reading it as a mm. kid. Like, you're literally thinking, this is her cool uncle that's an explorer. So I, I suppose I never really thought that hard about it. And then, like, having to, yeah, re- read it again now and think harder about that stuff does make it it's interesting yeah yeah it's... especially because you've read it as a grown-up so you've not had the bit where you don't really care when you're reading it yeah you've got you're so much more informed as a reader yeah it'd be interesting to know like what everybody else thinks like if you're listening 
and you've got you opinions for or against as yeah. well as, mean, of, as of now where yeah. we are in the books if you've read the books before let us know because it's really in, I think it's really interesting to see people's yeah. different opinions like so far I think he's you can tell he's got a mean streak for me if you're ignoring where we know he will what, what will happen and all that stuff mm-hmm. in a spoiler free world you know he's got a mean streak but also he is coming across as like not a fun uncle but like an intriguing slash cool uncle I think he's I definitely think he's intriguing yeah I just think that he is obsessed with power and he clearly doesn't know how to act around a child and yeah the fact that he actually like physically abuses Lyra is just that's for me I'm just like mm. it's interesting especially with having just watched the first episode of the tv show yeah and James McAvoy's portrayal McAvoy McAvoy, McAvoy. it is McAvoy, McAvoy. okay <laughs> I, it's one pronunciation that I, I know pronounce anything <laughs> Yeah, his portrayal so far is very personable. And, like, he's only had a couple of moments where you've seen that he's got this mean streak, whereas in the books he's a lot meaner already by this point. Yeah. Um. So I am very... I'm interested to see where he goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And how that goes. Because if you hadn't read the books and you were watching the TV show, would you think Asriel was cool? I mean, despite pinning her to the table... I think... At that time. Would that have immediately been yes. like, no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for me, like, definitely. I mean... We will see where, like, what happens with Azriel, and I'm, I'm actually not going to say what I was about to say because I don't want to like lead people if they've not yeah. read the books. So I'm going to leave it there. But yeah, do let us know if you have like your own opinions on this because I think I definitely think it's a divider. Like definitely. I feel like there's people on both sides of of the argument. So yeah, we have Lyra and Azriel have this conversation. And she gets quizzed. She tells him about a bird that her and Roger caught on the rooftops that she wanted to kill. Yeah, yeah. Because she's a little savage. <laughs> uh, as has been described in the book, I'm not just casually picking that word out of my lexicon. Yeah. And yeah, Roger convinces her to like nurse it back to health. You, he's such a sweet little soul. Roger, Every step of the way. Yeah. He's such a sweet little soul. Roger kind of reminds me of Pan. Like, <laughs> also, you don't really see Pan in this chapter much, do you? I don't, I can't remember if he's you mentioned. You just kind of assume that he's. Yeah, but like, he doesn't really. I was going to say he doesn't have any lines, like it's a TV show, but like, he doesn't have any like dialogue, I don't think. Or if he no, does, it's he's very kind minimal. Of featured towards the end of the yeah. chapter a little bit more, but yeah. Um, uh, another thing that I wrote down about Asriel being a dick was that <laughs> he calls her out for having dirty fingernails. Mm. And she says that uh, the chaplain's fingernails are dirty, and he's like, yeah, well, he's a learned man. What the fuck? Patriarchal like, bullshit. And she's like, well, they got dirty since I last washed them. <laughs> yeah. But like, again, with the patriarchal yeah. bullshit. Oh, uh, definitely. Like, not here for it. Not here for it. But I did definitely like her response. Yeah. And he gives her some money. Yeah. Just um, gives her a fiver. Yeah. It's like, have fun. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and then he asks if she's behaving and still Maria laughs. And that's the only time we hear from, from her in this chapter. Yeah. There's an interesting paragraph here where... Um, Lyra, obviously, now she wants to find out everything that she can about dust. And then we get, like, a little glimpse into the future. Yeah, it, I really love this. I like it as well. Like, it's a, here's Lyra's life in Oxford. It's been carefree slash, like, raucous yeah. and fun. But, but yeah. yeah. So we learn that she is going to, in the future, we'll find out that at some point, Lyra will know more about dust than anyone in the world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like also... That. The glimpse into the future of the more recent future is that children are beginning to disappear. Yeah, it gives you a nice description of like where we're going, and you kind of get an impression that 
it's far out from Oxford. It's at like the rough end of London, basically, where the Thames is about to hit the sea. And it's kind of like all industrial and stuff. I think it's not the Thames. It's the the River Isis. It's, I think it's it? in Limehouse, right? Where's where is Limehouse? So Limehouse, I used to live near Limehouse. Ah. It's near Canary Wharf. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's um. I used to live in Isle of Dogs, and it is not far from there. Like yeah. maybe like twenty minutes on the bus. Oh, okay. It's on the DL. It's a DLR stop, and there is a gig venue there called the Troxy. And I've been to the Troxy. Yeah, yeah. Right. I went to see Take Back Sunday there recently. Oh, I went to see Video Games Live, where yeah. a live orchestra. Yeah, so that's Limehouse. Okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I yeah. mean, obviously they might have placed it in a different yeah but you kind of get the impression from the way you describe it it's like here's a place that you'll have heard of and here's a place a bit further out or like further in into like basically a rough part of london and it says and here is the child who's going to disappear yeah i like the end point i love the idea it's like zoom in zoom in closer closer closer. yeah i like that because it's like we also uh, we also switch to present tense as well which is interesting because it like helps like build the tension because we know he's going to disappear but we just don't know when and how yeah. So, like, having that um, it, in the present tense, it adds to that, like, tension of, like, oh, God, when is this happening? Yeah, it settles, like, a, basically, like, a veil or a lens of, like, ominousness over everything you're about to read. Yeah. Because you know something bad's going to happen. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Because then all of the descriptions that come through, no matter how innocent they sound, you know something bad's going to happen. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I really like it, too. Um, so, the kid that's going to disappear, his name is Tony... Macarius. Thank you. Macarius, Macarius. <laughs> um, and he doesn't have a great childhood. He says that his mum is... I think it describes her as being a drunk. Um, yeah. He says um, she thinks he's nine years old, but she has a poor memory that the drink has rotted. That's really sad. She really doesn't even sad. know how old he is. Throughout this little bit, she gets described as like a poor drunken thing. Yeah. And all sorts of really rough descriptors. But it lays out like a perfect image of yeah. what, exactly what he's getting out of this like kid that's had a neglected childhood and a parent that's struggled with alcohol abuse. Yeah. It just sounds really tough. Definitely. It's really, really sad. There's little things that like they like pepper in, like, oh, he won't get fed at home. Or like, so he has to go out and find food. Or um, I think it says something about his mum being affectionate, but only when like he initiates it. So like he'll give her yeah. a hug and she's like not sure what's happening. A but hug she'll... and a sticky kiss. But she'll hug him back, but like she would never like yeah. initiate that, which is sad for a night yeah. for like growing up like that and being like a nine year old is really sad. So he runs off to steal some food. Yeah, he's wandering through the markets with his little little demon as a sparrow, yeah, helping him to kind of pickpocket and shoplift bits of food for his dinner, and he steals a pie. Which is quite the feat. Good on him. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, he does get caught and then have to run down the street with run, it. But with a pie. Can you imagine running with a pie? <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess so. But, like, I think it says, like, when he actually sits down to eat it, that it's all, like, mashed and, like, mangled. Yeah, up. he's got a trail of gravy on his chair. <laughs> Bless him. Um, and then we so learn that it's being watched. Yeah. He basically has his big pie heist. Yeah, runs away and sits on the steps of St. Catherine's Oratory. Oratory? Or- oratory. Basically, whenever it's going to talk about oratories, I'm picturing a cathedral. Yeah, same. Basically, or a big church. Mm. Um, and yeah, and he's sat down with his gravy on his shirt, and then literally the next one is like, and he's being watched. Yeah. Ominous again. Mm-hmm. So ominous. Yeah. Yeah. I think we probably both have the same little sticky note here, but... Definitely. Do you want to read the first description we're going to get of the lady? Sure. she is. So... 
A lady in long yellow red fox fur coat, a beautiful young lady whose fair hair falls shining delicately under the under the shadow of her fair lined hood. He's standing in the door of the oratory, half a dozen steps above him. Does yours say fair hair or dark hair? Fair. Mine says dark. Oh my god! Oh my god we found a difference in our books, guys. <gasps> oh, do you think they've changed it because of wasn't bloody Nicole Kidman? Nicole Kidman. I don't know. Mine <gasps> says her dark hair. Mine says fair. Oh my god, that's so interesting. <laughs> but do you know, it, always. <sighs> Yeah, it completely changes things. But I, because I read your book, yeah. your version of the book, first time, so I didn't notice that difference, but I still always imagine her with dark hair mm. because it was the first, like, descriptor that I read of her. That's so interesting. Ooh, I want to I wanna see why that happened. People of the world, tell <laughs> us which version of the book you've read, whether you've got a fair head or a dark head, Mrs. Yeah. Coulter, and how mine, it's changed it. Mine you. is a lot newer. Um, yeah. I think mine's actually one of the newer <clears throat> like publications. It's got like a nice cover with like the alethiometer on it. But yeah, that is so interesting. So I was like, oh, I was about to correct you. I was like, dark hair, dark hair. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so oh, wow surprised. Wow, why would you suddenly make? Why would why would one like? Why would you change that? I wonder, aside from yeah. because of the film who did that come from did it come from Philip Pullman did it come from the people that are publishing it I'm trying to think now because like I've always pictured her as a brunette or as like like very dark hair but I'm trying to think if like maybe in in the later books if she if it's ever if like if the descriptor of her has changed like maybe Philip changed his mind when he was writing the second book and then all the first books that got published after that maybe but then like why would you yeah you can't do that though anyway anyway (laughs) oh my god um so yeah that's our first descriptor that we get of this woman and she's holding a jeweled breviary which i googled and found out it's like a it's like a the book that the sermon in a church would be written in so okay. like all your like hymns and yeah, yeah. Like, passages and stuff that you're reading from so I'm imagining like a really fancy like leather bound book with some kind of yeah jewel jeweling or like gold leaf in going on yeah just mm. I like to google words I don't know yeah <laughs> I mean I just get, like I said before I just skip straight past them <laughs> yeah and we learn her demon is a golden monkey um and he so Tony sat on the steps and her golden monkey demon slips down the steps and he sits one step up from Tony and his demon. And Tony's demon, Sparrow formed, jumps into the monkey's hand. Yeah. So it's just, it's, I, the description is great. Is um, His demon was a mouse sat, like, washing itself while he ate his pie. The mouse senses something and then becomes a sparrow, cocking her head a fraction sideways and hops along the stone a step or two. The monkey watches the sparrow. The sparrow watches the monkey. <laughs> and it's like, dum, dum, dum. Yeah. It's so ominous. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but like, if you hadn't been told this kid was going missing, you'd be like, oh, there's this poor kid, he's eating a pie. This beautiful lady's showed up. Without the description that you know that he's going missing, that that could yeah. be quite nice. It's like, oh, yeah, the monkey watches the sparrow, the sparrow yeah. watches the monkey. And the sparrow jumps yeah. into the monkey's hand. Oh, it's cute. Oh, but yeah, and I'm like, no, yeah. don't do it, sparrow. Definitely. And then, so the monkey turns and runs back to the woman with... Uh, Tony's yeah. demon in his hand and it's interesting here because Tony turns he says he can't help it and I, it's yeah. interesting is there a reason why well, he can't help it so the monkey takes the sparrow to the lady and she bends her head to whisper but is she whispering to the monkey or the sparrow because mm. I mm. think I guess we'll get there but I think it's quite rare for someone to address your demon and not you yeah yeah. so maybe true. it's that he says something to the demon he sensed that somebody's spoken to his demon yeah yeah I don't maybe. know 
Maybe. Yeah, he can't help it. Also, just because she's so fancy. She fancy. Yeah, and then the lady lures him away with chocolatel? Chocolatel? Chocolatel. Which is like hot chocolate, I assume, from the description. Yeah. And then we learn that Tony will never make it out of the warehouse and that he'll never see his mum again. Yeah, she, poor drunken thing, will think he's run away. And when she remembers him, she'll think it was her fault and sob her sorry heart out. So bad. That's so really uh, sad, isn't it? That heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where you, you just can't. There's not. There's nothing to say about it. It's just so sad. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. really sad. So then we go to the warehouse. Yeah. And there's lots of other children in there. None that are older than 12. Yeah. So none that have reached puberty, which is interesting. Yeah, and it's, a point is made of saying that is that Tony yeah. doesn't notice it, but we need to notice yeah. that none of the children have hit puberty, which yeah. is interesting. And then I think an- another child asks the lady why they're there, and the lady says that um, she needs that help. I put a note against this um, paragraph about the lady. The book says, No one could say a word. They all gazed suddenly shy. They'd never seen a lady like this. She was so gracious and sweet and kind that they felt they hardly deserved their good luck, and whatever she asked, they'd give it they'd give it gladly so as to stay in her presence a little longer. Yeah, so interesting. Mm. That she's so, like, <clears throat> magnetic yeah. as a person. Yeah, and I think reading it for the first time as well, it kind of makes you think, okay, so is there actually something magic about this woman, like, in the world that we're in? Yeah, like, that's true. Does she have some kind of magical property that attracts people to her like that? It reminds me of the... Oh, God, I can't remember the name of them. But there's things in Harry Potter and they come in in the Goblet of Fire. Oh, Can you remember that? The Vila? Yeah. Because everyone says that Fleur de la Cour's mar- marmor grandma She's part Vila. Was, was a yeah. Vila. Yeah, 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 yeah. It reminds me of that And then they, bit. like, turn and they're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was a really cute little hiss, guys. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I did the gothy candle up by hands as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she tells them that they're going on a voyage north. And that they can write to their families to tell them where they're going. She goes through all this effort of, like, sitting down with the kids and, like, writing down some words for them. And then if they can't write, if they can't sign their name, they'll do a little cross. And she'll, like, carefully put it in a, in a scented envelope and write the address on it. And, like, poor little Tony is like, my mum can't read. It's not gonna, like, this letter won't help, but can you please ask, like, can you please tell her where I am? And the lady bent her gracious head close enough to his malodorous little body to hear and stroked his head and promised to pass the message on. I think that's just a sad little, like, describing someone as, like, having a mal- malodorous little body. Mm. It's so sad. But yeah. then also, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, all the kids, like, cluster around her and, like, the monkey strokes all of their demons, mm-hmm. which I find really creepy. Yep. And they all they all touch her, like, fancy coat for good luck. And she, like, sees them onto this boat with this random captain man. It's like, thanks. And then just fucking chucks all of those letters in the fire. Because she is evil, apparently. <laughs> I was like, OMG, what a fucking bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that is pure psychopathy. Yeah. Like, or sociopathy. Whatever it is where you're like, you can be really magnetic and interesting as a human. And, like really personable but there is literally no emotion behind those eyes and you can take this wad of letters from poor children that just want to tell their parents they're all right and just chuck them on a fire yeah like oh that's cold that is cold i love it 
<laughs> like, not like obviously what she's doing is horrible, but like as a character, as an introduction is, to a villainous person, yeah, that is amazing. It's such like um, uh, I I suppose you kind of felt that there was something a bit off about her, but I like it. Kind of says it straight away. You don't have to wait long to find out. Actually, she a bitch. Yeah, but also like because she's described even though again we knew it was ominous, she is described nicely. You're yeah. all, you're almost trying to like like this beautiful woman and then like the last bit is literally just like no throws the letters in the furnace do you know who that reminds me of again and i'm so sorry i keep referring to harry potter all the time umbridge be sorry yeah 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 sweet but like evil. yeah yeah because they do a similar jk rowling does a similar thing when you first get introduced to umbridge and i think it's like only when she does her big speech at the beginning of the school term and like starts Mm. you start hearing and you see like, the sadistic side come out yeah. in like detention with the the quill that oh like, yeah cuts into your skin yes horrible um, so it reminds me of that yeah so then we move on a little bit and we like start to um, yeah I think the initial bit of that next paragraph is that children from the slums are easy enough to entice away mm-hmm. but eventually people noticed and the police were stirred into reluctant action yeah and that's so like indicative of like it's just a very like on the point thing oh, yeah. for him to write down of like in I listen to far too many murdery murdery podcasts mm-hmm. and like so many of them about especially when like a lot of children have been murdered they're all from like low income families low income areas yeah. it takes loads of effort to get the police involved when they do get involved they make loads of mistakes if it was like rich white kids going missing oh absolutely yeah there would like John Bonet or whatever yeah there would be a media circus there would be police all over it they'd probably get the fbi involved like obviously this is not that situation in mm-hmm. the book but it's just that perfect thing of he's zoned in on the fact of like of course it's the kids from the like poor areas yeah. and the lower income areas that are going to go missing first and it's going to take a lot of them to go missing before the authorities are going to get involved because yeah. society sucks absolutely <laughs> basically yeah. no matter what world you're in this is a different world and still the police are rubbish yeah and don't, they don't care about poor people because screw everything yeah no it's such yeah. a it's such a good like allegory for society today and i suppose it's just always been like that and it sucks thanks philip mm. <laughs> it's a bit of a downer sorry guys but it's true yeah um so then there obviously we learn about these children going missing from these low-income families mm. uh, there are lots of rumors flying around um about like who and what they could be but then nobody can really agree on like how and where the kids were taken but they've all agreed a name for them, which is the Gobblers. Yeah, which um, I find kind of funny. It makes me laugh. I think yeah. it's just a funny word, isn't it's it? It's like goblins. Yeah, right. <laughs> or like, it makes me think of like turkeys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Yeah. Um, yeah, no one can agree where the kid's being taken, what's being done with them as well. Like some people think it's slaves, some people think they're being eaten, which I find really interesting. Yeah. There's um, a really cute quote about Roger here, because I think Lyra and Roger, they like, start playing their game of like the gobblers and they're yeah. like chasing each other around pretending the gobblers and lyra says to him let's play kids and gobblers and it says sir said lyra to roger the kitchen boy from jordan college who would have followed her to the ends of the earth oh roger that's a really lovely like bit of potential foreshadowing as well which yeah really definitely like, which we shan't say any more about but yeah. that's a lovely line yeah i am um, before that i enjoyed when they said talk about how the gobblers have found a name he says 
they had to have a name or not be referred to at all, and talking about them, especially if you were safe and snug at home or in Jordan College, was delicious. Yes. I love that. I do. That's like, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking about something is, or even like playing at it when you know it's a real danger, but like you're safe and snug is yeah. like, it's like listening to murder podcasts. Yeah, exactly. It is like, yeah, yeah it's delicious. <laughs> delicious. What the hell is the accent? Oh, with the, they're all saying, I ain't. Oh, I don't believe in him anyway. <laughs> so for me, like when I think, obviously we know it's a, a slightly different world from ours. But yeah. when I think of Oxford, I think of like RP. Yeah. Um, and then you, you can still get like... But the accent that you just did and the accent that it alludes to is very Cockney. Yeah. Or, or like, West Country. Oliver Twist. Yeah. It, it makes me actually, when yeah. I first read it, it made me think of West Country. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really strange choice of accent for kids in Oxford. But obviously it's a different world. So. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different time as well. Mm. I think it maybe just puts you in a different, yeah, different world, different time. Yeah, but I, I remember, yeah, when I first read it, I was like, what is this fucking accent that's going on here? Yeah. Not as good as it our kind of pulls you out of it, it. but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lyra exaggerates and tells lies about Asriel. <laughs> Which um, I love is yeah. it's one of the first times. We kind of know that she likes to tell stories a bit anyway. Yeah. From the way that she just like really deftly lies to all the adults basically constantly. Mm-hmm. But I, this is one of the first things of her telling like tall tales. Yeah. <laughs> tall ass tales. Yeah. So she basically says that he can kill people by just looking at them. And Roger doesn't believe her. But they still like play that game anyway. Yeah. They take it in turns to be like <laughs> stared at and to like die. And then they use um, they were using like sherbet. So they could like froth at the mouth. Yeah. So, like, yeah. You can just <laughs> imagine fun. just how dramatic they are as kids. <laughs> yeah. It's so great. They start exploring. They like start, instead of playing at gobblers, like chasing around like kids and gobblers, like tag, they start hunting for the gobblers mm-hmm. and like starting to like use it as a way to explore, which I find interesting. And that's how they end up in the cellars. Yeah. Drinking wine. Getting drunk together. So cute. That this again reminds me of my me being a kid. So maybe not as young as twelve, but I would imagine I was probably thirteen. And my first time getting drunk, I remember I was with my friend and my mum and dad were out and it was my sister that like <laughs> edged me on to do it. And I think I drank something really like almost non alcoholic, like really shitty alka pops that are like ninety percent sugar and then like two percent alcohol oh, or something. God. Like WKDs. Today don't seem to have to drink those, do they? Why is the Smirnoff Ice in Tesco's these days? Like, why aren't? Why isn't that what everyone's drinking? I like? still love them. Like, they're so sugary. <laughs> like, my dad, I think he's stopped now, which is sad, but he used to buy me, like, a crate of Blue WKD every Christmas oh from God. being, like, a teenager. Um, it tastes like regret. <laughs> it does, but I love it. So sugary. I end up with, like, a sugar hangover rather than an actual, like, alcohol hangover. Yeah. But I remember drinking loads of those and then laying on the dining room table drunk. That's good. Fun times. So it reminded me of that when I read that about uh, Being a and Roger. country last night was probably, sorry mum and dad, nicking some whatever was in the house from the like alcohol cupboard, yeah, yeah. probably replacing it with water. Yeah. Also, as if, I'm thinking now like if if I was a parent and my kid did that, I'd notice immediately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, probably having like a camp out in a field somewhere because hashtag that's so countryside. Yeah, we used um, to do that a lot as well. Yeah, camping out in a field somewhere and just drinking drinks that you just definitely Somehow I was able to drink neat vodka back then. Oh, God. that's a thing. No, I was I was going to bring that up because, yeah, when I was a teenager doing the same thing that you were doing, 
obviously lying to my parents and telling them that I was sleeping at my friend's house, but actually camping out in a field somewhere. We'd like literally just drink like neat vodka, neat whatever spirits you can get hands on. I could never do that now. It makes me feel sick. The <laughs> smell of it, it makes Definitely. me feel sick. Like yeah. I'll drink like spirits and mixers, but if I have to sniff like an actual shot of anything like vodka, whatever, I'm like, no, thank you. And I just used to drink that shit like it was water. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. I think you just metabolize it completely differently at yeah. that age as well. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoy the description of like everyone getting drunk because they think that they're not drunk and then they look over and their demons are like Aww. getting all muddled up and falling over and giggling and changing shape to look like sillier and uglier things and like yeah. I'm imagining Pan being like look I'm a blobfish <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, they, then they do that classic thing where you think you're not drunk and then you realise you're drunk yeah. and then you go bath yeah. basically and you I- stand up and then realise how drunk you are yeah and then like Lyra's stubbornness like jumps out here I think Roger says something like oh my god why do adults do this and she's like I like it even though she's just thrown up yeah <laughs> there's a description when she drinks the wine she's like um, they, they didn't like the taste of it but she was like oh it's grand and complicated tasting though isn't it yeah. <laughs> kind of thing yeah, yeah. It's like exactly. she just she wants to be sophisticated lesser, <laughs> but no <laughs> Um, so then we move down to a crypt. We see, or like, I suppose we see the coffins of lots of dead masters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with their demons. I enjoy the description of the college going as far below ground as it does above ground. Yeah. And referring back to that article that Philip Pullman wrote for The Guardian, and that is referring to like his experience at Oxford and how... There was like rumours of like one of the libraries did have like lots of basement levels. Right. And then there was like rumours and ghost stories that the students would tell each other about like, you know, if you go like super far down, there's one that's haunted by somebody (laughs) that like got killed in there. And if you like put your ear on this particular wall, you can hear like scratching and like muffled noises from inside. (laughs) Oh my God, I would love to do that. Yeah. And he was saying like he did, he went down, he listened to the wall, you can hear scratching. Probably not the souls of the dead. It's probably mice. Yeah. But (laughs) But you can still hear it. Yeah. They like love to like creep each other out with stories about it at college. So I love that that's where the inspiration, the whole like substructure. Yeah. Like underground at Jordan comes from. Yeah. I like that. Um, And then this is where we learn for the first time that as people get older, their demon loses the ability to change shape. So it ends up assuming one form, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. I like that that's a thing that happens when you're a child and you're growing up you assume so many different personalities as you're kind of getting to know yourself it's a really good like allegory for like becoming an adult you kind of learn to know know yourself a little bit better so it would make sense that you have one animal with you obviously i know they carry the same like personalities in the actual demons but having one form of that demon makes sense to me as an adult yeah Definitely. And I love that um, it's a thing that's represented in death as well, mm-hmm. in terms of like, you've had this companion all your life. They deal with it in a really lovely way in the TV show when Roger is like, how come when we, how come when we die, our demons disappear, but we don't? And that's not really mentioned in this. Yeah. But in the TV show, it definitely kind of brings it up and they talk and it's kind of indicated in the fact that like you get down to the cellar and there's all the scholars' skulls, mm-hmm. and they've got the coin in with the demon engraved on it. Yeah. And so it's like the skulls all that remains of the man, and the coin representing what his demon was is all that remains of the demon. Yeah. And it's like, I really like that. Like a, I don't know. Um, like, different cultural burial rites and stuff really mm-hmm. interest me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, 
So I think it's a really nice way. And the fact that he's in that world, he's thought that far, and he's gone, of course, your demon would be with you, represented in some way, in yeah. however you're culturally, however that is dealt with in your burial rites. Yeah, and they had the nice quote, which you pulled out for your drawing that you did for Inktober. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, each of the other skulls they found had its own demon coin, showing its owner's lifetime companion still close to him in death. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's nice. So yeah, so they go exploring down there. Lyra tries to play a trick on the scholars and she, the dead scholars, and she switches the coins around so that the little demon coins mm. end up in different skulls. And then she gets visited by night ghosts that scare the shit out of her basically until she puts them back in the right. Yeah, world. I'm trying to work out if that is if it's a world where that ghosts exist or if it's a nightmare. If it's his word for nightmare. Yeah, I took it when I read it as being a world where that kind of stuff exists. Okay. Um, just because I really want it to exist, I think. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, so I'm going to read it like that and just hope that that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so when they're when they finished um, exploring down there, they get caught coming out by the inter, intercessor? Intercessor? Intercessor. intercessor. Uh, he used to teach Lyra, but decided she was not spiritually promising. Rude. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, he questions them a little bit about why they were there. And then he dismisses Roger and asks Lyra lots of questions about her friends. And again, like, it's like her giving like the bare yeah. minimum answer. Yeah. Asking her like whether she's lonely and stuff. It shows that they, they do care. Yeah. The scholars clearly care. And they are worried that she's just like basically got no friends except Roger and these random kids that yeah. they, they probably don't even know about. Yeah. She just doesn't want to talk to anyone. She's, She's like, not bothered. She's one word answers all the way. That's our girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then we move on and we learn that the gobblers have arrived in Oxford. Yeah. And a young boy from Egyptian family um, that Lyra knows has gone missing. And they want to prank them again but they decide not to <laughs> yeah she's got like a big basically another heist where she's going to take the boat even further just again lyra stop stealing people's houses please um but yeah then when she realized that like a legit tragedy has occurred and she's like maybe i won't steal the house then I yes guess. fine and then another like kid thing that i can relate to it's not really a kid thing it shouldn't be a kid thing anyway is that her and all her friends are smoking like sharing one bit of a cigarette and that reminds me yeah. so much of when i was a teenager and i thought to myself like all this stuff that they're doing like getting drunk smoking is it super young i know they're like 12 but then i was doing that kind of stuff at like 13 so now that i'm an adult it feels really young but like actually i that's what i was doing at around that age yeah i was too good for that <laughs> I yeah, Proud. I was still loud now to say that I've yeah never never smoked. Oh, I swear, yeah. maybe I tried smoked. like two cigarettes my whole life. That's a good way to be. I don't smoke yeah. now, by the way, dear listeners. <laughs> Please no don't, don't worry. <laughs> no judgment if you do. I smoked for years and I loved it. Um, but I do not smoke now. I love the description of her. I guess it's a little while from now where someone's like derisive about her being like, oh, you don't know that this has happened, and. She like recognizes the universal sign for a fight and throws down her cigarette. <laughs> and it's so dramatic. And it's yeah, like, yes, Lara. She's gonna fight. <laughs> yeah, I like that yeah. too. Um, we meet Marcosta, so a new character, and she's screaming basically because her son's. Missing. And she's the mom of the family whose boat Lara stole. Yes, yeah, and the mum of the boy who's gone missing. I enjoy this. Who had clouted Lyra dizzy on two occasions, but given her hot gingerbread on three. 
So this is my other thing again about adults hitting children. What is it with this book and adults hitting children? But then also she gave a gingerbread. I mean, <laughs> I think it's just a sign of the times in the book. It truly is, but like I completely get that. But I, I think it still makes mm. for like uncomfortable reading, especially reading it now. Yeah, I read the kids almost get into a fight. <laughs> Lara throws down her cigarette. Yeah. It's like Pan becomes a dragon. Yeah. And then I was wondering, do dragons exist in, in that world or is it just Can imagination? Just anything, yeah. Yeah. Because they were becoming gargoyles earlier. Yeah. When um when they were drunk, mm. the demons were becoming like gargoyles and grotesque things. I have a feeling that you have to have maybe seen it or know about it to be I, it. Especially from this where everyone else's demons turn into something quite normal, but it's got tooth like fangs and claws. Yeah. And that Pan turns into a dragon. I think your demon can only turn into something that you know exists. Yeah. Or that, like, you are educated about enough to know. Which also kind of links to the, like, Azriel's got, like, a snow leopard. Mm-hmm. He's, like, an Arctic explorer. He's educated. He knows yeah. and may have seen snow leopards before. So that's how Stelmaria could be a snow leopard, maybe. Yeah. Probably the person who's got, like, a sparrow or just like a regular old house cat, might not have the same level of imagination or education Yeah, to like know about all the other fancy animals that exist. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, they nearly get into a fight. Um, Mark Oster breaks it up and then they they start talking about Billy, the missing kid. Yeah. Um, Also, Mark Oster's like running around like, she just hits everybody. She's hitting like all these like random full grown men when they don't know where Billy is. Like, they've like lost track of him. He's wandered off and they're like, oh, well, he shouldn't have wandered off. And she like smacks him around the face. I've got a lot of respect for Mark Oster, but I realise that violence is not the answer. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a great impression of her as this person who's, like, got loads of, like, clout, both, like, metaphorically in the community (laughs) and also, like, in the back of her hand. (laughs) I like that she, like, takes no bullshit and she's just completely, like, she kind of, it seems like she just kind of runs the whole thing that they've got going on there, which, just from being herself, which I enjoy. Yeah. So then the like Egyptian kids and Lyra's little crew, they start like speculating about the gobblers. Somebody mentions that they come in a white truck. And then I was like, does this mean that cars are a thing? Because it made me like, why am I imagining a classic like white van man situation going on here? Well, I guess, well, they've got like the aero dock. Yeah. And like Zeppelins and stuff, right? Yeah. So I guess why wouldn't they have, I'm imagining like old style motor vehicles though, like. Chitty chitty bang bang style. Yeah, it made me laugh because I think it says white van. And yeah. then I was like, I just uh, like imagined like your classic white van that you'd see on the street yeah. that had heard someone's like tools and shit. And I was like, that's making I think me it's going to take a lot to get to grips with the different levels of what is what is available yeah, technologically yeah, yeah. in this world. So they work out that Billy had been seen two hours previously and Lyra. I think you kind of see how clever she is here as a kid because she kind of figures out that, well, they must look normal, otherwise how how would they be able to steal kids in broad daylight? Yeah. And then the Egyptian kids are like, well, there's no one here because we literally know everybody yeah. here. Yeah. Which shows how like tight-knit that community is. Yeah, definitely. And they set off to look for them, but they don't find anything. Um, so they head back to the college. And then when they get back, or on the way back, she learns about another missing child and she tries to run off and go to the market to ask about her. Uh, but the porter calls her back and um, says that the master says that she's not allowed to go out again. And she's night. like, you fucking catch me. Yeah. And runs off because she's great. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it wasn't one of the agile uh, scholars that she was no. talking to that, that couldn't catch her. She runs to the market and sees a 16-year-old that she knows. And then I put, 
C sticker nine for a funny quirk. So shall we find out what it is together? Because I can't remember. (laughs) Is it because uh, she admired him because he could spit further than anyone else she'd ever heard of? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And went and waited humbly for him to notice. Yeah, I like that. It kind of makes (laughs) me again makes me think of being a kid where like you're waiting for the cool like person to notice you, and you're like. Also, it's not because he's cute. It's because he can spit far. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like you just like you like oh like you think a certain person's cool, so you like lean against the wall casually like in their vicinity waiting for them to notice you like hmm and I really liked that (laughs) (laughs) they like tell the um, kids that she meet there uh, the older kids they confirm that the girl is actually missing Um, and then she gets to have the joy of telling someone else about the gobblers because she's probably feeling really like silly for not knowing about Billy going missing and people going missing and then she's like these people haven't even heard of the goblets I can't wait to tell everyone all about them and be the person with the information definitely and then when she's telling them or like when they're all talking about the goblets she remembers that picture in the retiring room that Asriel shared the one that has um the the man with the dust particles and then the child that doesn't have any other dust particles around them then she remembers that one of the scholars in that room had mentioned severed children and then i suppose that kind of begs the question like why does she randomly think that does it have how something... is she linking these yeah how is it related yeah. to the gobblers like she seems she knows something actually here that we don't know and we actually don't find out what it is yeah because um, all of a sudden her heart drops and she realizes she's not seen roger all day yeah Lyra, come on. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like the way that they do the the way that Philip does this because he it kind of does allude to it in the text because like when she's talking to different kids all day, it's never Roger. Yeah, and like before that, all we've seen is her talking to Roger. Yeah, it's and, almost like we've not realized. That yeah, we've not we've not seen Roger all day. Yeah. in the way that we've been reading. Yeah. yeah, and I really like that. I think it's like really clever. Yeah, she runs back to the college. Uh, Porter's mad but she doesn't care she just wants to know where Roger is she tries the kitchen is not there Uh, she runs out of the kitchen to her bedroom and then she climbs out of the window onto the roof and just has a little scream I mean yeah why not fair play (laughs) yeah she's well she's running around it's that classic thing where like when you're a kid the most frustrating thing in the world is when grown-ups won't listen to you and you feel like you've got something really really important to say and people are literally just being like oh like don't worry life goes on Lyra like I'm sh- literally someone said oh he'll show up with one thing or another life goes on Lyra that's it yeah. and it's like nobody's she's listening just to like her. no no yeah. I know he's gone yeah. like she can feel it definitely but she's getting ignored and then there's quite a nice quote or a nice little passage where she looks across college and she realises that her world's changing forever because children are going missing and it's just never going to be the same as it was yeah which is I like that um, it's quite like it's quite sad obviously as a child to realise that as well, as like a 12 year old, to be like, oh, my world's never going to be the same now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, oh, her and Pan, this is where we get to hear a bit from Pan actually, isn't it? Yeah, they, like, they get to have like a proper little chat. Yeah, they like vow to rescue Roger. Oh, um, yeah, they, yeah. Start, they kind of talk about the entire children, severed children thing again. And we what? don't get to find out what Pan thinks as well, which I find is interesting. Yeah. Um, she's kind of explaining a bunch of stuff, and then Pan's like, I think but we don't get to find out because someone comes to get her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't know what little So we keep getting like little snippets of like Lyra and Pam between them are piecing something together in their heads. Yes. But we, like, we're just getting stopped. Yeah, we don't know. Where they're yeah. going to kind of like click and yeah. have, that, that, have that aha moment. We don't get to get that. Yeah, we don't great. know. Which, yeah, I like it. I like that. So then, like you said, the housekeeper shouts, uh, interrupts that conversation. 
And she tells her to get washed and dressed because she's going to have dinner with the master mm-hmm. and some guests. Um, in the master's lodgings. In the master's lodgings. And then it says Pan turns into an ermine for politeness. And I was like, why is that polite? Because it's like small and fancy. I don't know. It's small and fancy. Because <laughs> he's small and fancy. Does he have a little bird tie on? Oh, I'd imagine <laughs> it. It'd be so cute. I guess it's quite a fancy animal. He's soft. He's pretty. Yeah. It's not like if he was going to be rude, maybe he'd have turned into a pig or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. he has picked quite like a convenient yeah. table companion. That's true. There are animals that you could change into that wouldn't really be polite, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. So then they weren't dining in the hall because there were three women present. Is this because women aren't allowed in the hall? By the sounds of it, yeah. Classic. Classic. <laughs> that was another thing I liked that they changed in the TV show. Yeah. They were like, fuck that, we're eating in the great hall yeah, with everyone else. Definitely. And I was like, good, because that's a silly dislike. I mean, I guess it's just a standard thing of whatever patriarchal structure exists within this mm. world, which can fuck off. But yeah, I guess it gives them a slightly more private setting to have a conversation in like a narrative device sense, yeah. but also, no. Nah. No. <laughs> and so the three women, one of them is uh, Dame Hannah Ralph. She's head of one of the women's colleges, which again kind of makes you think that the colleges are separated. separated. And then I put, oh, holy shit. The last guest has a golden monkey. Oh, oh yeah. God. She was a beautiful she was beautiful and young. Her sleek black hair framed her cheeks and her demon was a golden monkey. What does my book say about her? I don't know. Let's, Let's find out. <laughs> um, it say blonde maybe or fair. Oh, she was beautiful and young. Her sleek fair hair framed her cheeks. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm so scandalized by his change of hair. I realize that it's definitely not the biggest thing but like, i am as well it's so interesting yeah um, but yeah so we learned her name is mrs coulter yeah that's such a great place to finish your chapter like yes. we've met this character like six pages earlier when she was being sinister as fuck and stealing a child and then you don't know that it's her when lyra meets her until it's literally like oh and her demon was a golden monkey that which fucking by monkey. the sounds of it is quite rare so it's definitely the same yeah. lady yeah great chapter very good chapter like i really there's a lot going on Mm because we you get a lot of lyra's backstory and lots of different anecdotes from all through her time in oxford and then you're like thrown into another thing that's happening in the present day and then you're thrown into another thing and like yeah it's also a lot of narrative and not too much exposition which i like Mm. and i like that it's very like um kid focused lots of stuff going on with children yeah and seeing more of lyra's life and and i'm i I don't know if you ever grow out of this, like, as an adult. Obviously, we are adults, but I've always been so much more interested in, like, kids' stories and, like, young adult stories than actual adult stories. I've always had a thing for, like, following the children's characters more than the adults. It's like Stranger Things and and It. uh, Like, I would prefer those to just have the kids and, like, no adults. Um, I don't know if it's because I find so many adult stories... That always ends up being like a love interest being a major part of it. Yeah. Or like, there just isn't the sense of like innocence and wonder and like kind of anything can happen when it's a kid's thing. Yeah. And the challenges are so much different because you're not as autonomous. You don't have the same power within the world that you're in because you're a kid. Yeah. So like the challenges are so much different. Whereas like when when stuff's happening to an adult, 
Yeah, no, I agree. There's less imagination involved, I think. Not from, like, whoever's writing it, but just from, like, um, the characters. Like, I feel like as, like, kids, you can get away with more, like, like you said, wonder and imagination and things like that than adult stories. And, like, more sweet misunderstandings and, like, senses, like, the humour that can be in that is very different than what's, what could be in, like, more grown-up stories. I've always been way more into kids books also just generally I've always been way more into fantasy books than mm-hmm. anything else yeah um like I absolutely adore Terry Pratchett and he has that thing of it's quite rare for him to write a book about children or young people actually like there's a few young adult novels but like it is mostly mm-hmm. around adults but it's also magical and the sense of humor that's in there is quite childish sometimes yeah. as well as being very clever so I don't know if that's the same thing that gets me is like the moment something becomes fantastical and magical, the possibilities that exist kind of expand in the same way as they do when something's about yeah. children. Yeah. I get, I love that you get so much more of an impression of Lyra in this chapter as her, like, scrappy, cheeky, mm-hmm. rule-breaking, badass self up until now. She's not actually... She's had a lot going on, but she's not said a whole ton. Yeah, But definitely. this is, like, properly, like, this is Lyra. It's yes. been laid out. Yeah, and this is Lyra in her own setting as well. Yeah, and how she acts around her own home and friends, and which mm. I think is always important to establish with the character, because a lot of the time you see the main characters getting pulled out of their own familiar surroundings. So it's always good to see them in those surroundings first to like get a yeah. grasp on what they're like. Do you have any awards to give out this week, Faye? <laughs> I do. I had two, but I'm going to go for this one. And it is the Short But Sweet Award. And I'm going to give it to Roger. Oh, that's so cute. Because we meet him and then he's gone. And we don't know if we're going to see him again. And he truly was sweet. And I loved him. And I love him. Where is he? Is he going to be okay? We don't know. Where's Roger? So yeah, that's my award. It's quite... Bad one. Sweet. Mm. I like that. Mm. I like that you've given an award name. Yeah. I have not thought of what the name of my award will be. <laughs> but I know that poor little Tony Macarios hasn't had a lot in his life. So he needs, like, he deserves something good. Yeah. And I think that that's something's going to have to be our, our trophy in the mail. Can it to be? To where, wherever the hell he is now. Yeah. Can it be shaped like a pie? Oh yeah, a little pie shape like that. Yeah. Oh, Maybe I should also just send like you know when you get given like um like a, a fruit basket of like like a little yeah. little basket of stuff that comes with it like an award yeah. hamper. <laughs> I think he needs a hamper. Well, my <laughs> my other one was I was going to give the dedication award to Tony and his pie because Aww. he was so dedicated to eating that pie. Like, oh bless him! Yeah. He just wouldn't stop yeah. for anyone, and I like enjoyed that. Yeah, he's the perfect. So many of the descriptions of him just kind of broke my heart. Like, even when he was the main focus of that paragraph, the moment he got taken into a room of other children, he just, like, falls straight into the background. Yeah. Because he's just so easy to lose, bless him. <sighs> yeah, genuinely. There you go. Award for breaking Rachel's heart on multiple occasions. <laughs> Little Tony McCurry. Oh. <laughs> well, actually, what is the next chapter called? It is The Alethiometer. Oh! Yeah. So we've heard it mentioned only once before Mm -hmm. in the second chapter. We don't know what it is. Interesting. Yeah.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com and if you feel so inclined, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and we will love you forever. We will! I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Triple-Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, and on Twitter at Rach underscore Makes. And you can find my online shop at RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and help with navigating the scary tech stuff. We'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye! See you in two weeks. Yay! Or on Friday. On Fridays, because we're doing the TV show. Yeah, bye. (laughs) Bye.